0: Good morning and welcome to worship today at Kern Church. My name is Will, and I'm the pastor here, and it's great to be with you all. Here at Kern Church, we're committed to creating to creating hope and to creating belonging, a sense of belonging for you by connecting you with a life renewed by Jesus and deeply committed to other folks. And so my hope for you today is that you feel that. You feel that sense of belonging. You feel that sense of hope as as we go to worship God together. So right now I just want to say a prayer for you and as we go to God and worship together. Holy Spirit, I thank you. I thank you for this day. I thank you for the celebration of Pentecost, the, the birth of your church that, that creates places of belonging for your spirit and, and creates promises of connection to help people experience your life renewing love. We also know that today is a hol- this weekend is a holiday in our nation, and, and we are reminded of. The sacrifice that many have paid on service to their nation. So we ask, oh God, that You help honor that. Be with those who made it home. Be with survivors. Be with families. Help them to experience Your blessing and peace. And God, today, just do a new thing. Send forth Your Holy Spirit so that Your church, Your people, may celebrate You. Amen. Today we are beginning a new message series called Unlocking the Power of Trust, and I have to tell you that I'm really excited about this because trust is something that is powerful and trust is something that, that we, we really have a hard time with in society. This week I came across a statement that, that really hit home for me, and it's this, trust is the fuel for all life. Trust is the fuel for all life. And this statement actually comes from a new book uh, about trust from, from the author Henry Cloud. Anyways, this idea of trust being the fuel of life is so very true in so many ways. I went to bed last night and I set my alarm, and I trusted that my alarm would wake me up this morning at six o'clock. I also made the coffee, right, and and put the coffee on alarm to, to start about eight minutes before I was supposed to wake up, and I trusted that my coffee pot would work, and my coffee pot always works. It's just me sometimes that doesn't put the carafe underneath the brew mechanism and decides to make coffee not in the craft but in the room. I mean, perhaps you have you have been there, right? You, you, most of you drove your car to church today um, and, and if you drove your car, there's a whole mess of trust involved with this. You trust the engineers and designers of your vehicle. You trust the, the workers who assembled and put together your vehicle. And then as you got in and drove here, you trusted all the other yahoos on the road to not swerve in your lane, right? And, and try to take you out. Like there's immense trust involved in the midst of just daily activity that you and I often just really don't think of. And then later today, you will eat lunch. And if you go to a restaurant, you trust that your food is properly prepared and, and, and that safety is involved with this proper preparation. You trust that the kitchen and the servers are washing their hands in the appropriate ways, that the food is stored in appropriate manners. You'll, you'll notice that, or, and then when you go to pay, you also will put your credit card in the dish and the server will then take your credit card, unless you're at a Mexican restaurant, Restaurant, then you'll go pay at the front. Um, but but your server will take the card to to wherever the magic place that this happens, and will run your card. And you trust that 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 she or he will charge you for your meal, and then whatever tip you add on top of this, and not like add it to their Amazon account and, and buy that flat screen TV before you can cancel your credit card or or whatever you know designer handbag that that they've been eyeing for some time. You know you. you there's a, so much trust that goes into this. But while trust may be the fuel for life in so many different ways, we live in a society where the bonds of trust are, are just broken down. I mean, a few years ago, this was right before the COVID pandemic, uh, the Pew Research Center did some studies about trust, and they found that, and this hasn't come to any surprise to you, especially... Um, Right now, okay, with this debt ceiling thing going on, but, but 75% of Americans feel that trust in the federal government has been eroded. I mean, that's probably an understatement, right? Um, especially, especially after the COVID pandemic, especially uh, with this debt ceiling debacle going on right now. But even probably more important than that is that 65% of Americans reported that their trust in each other was shrinking. And the one that really the, the kind of the last uh, percentage I'll share with you the one that really struck my heart is that 60% of those surveyed said that other people other people would try to take advantage of you if they had the chance. So so it's not that 60% of folks would like think the best in other people but 60% of your friends and your neighbors of the people that you you participate in life with would try to do things that would take advantage of you if They got the chance. I mean, trust has broken down, and the repercussions to this trust breaking down just really aren't all that great. Pew's research goes on to tell us that that people are less trusting than others, and this lack of trust really makes society, society worse. It makes solving uh, our nation's problems and our big, difficult problems even worse, I mean, you don't have to look farther than, than how COVID, the pandemic response was handled. You don't have to look further than, than what's happening right now in Washington. And, and like the, the, the breakdown of how to, to solve our nation's biggest challenges are much more difficult because people don't trust other people. And this research shows that people realize that a lack of trust correlates to a whole host of societal problems. Things like polarization, and selfishness, and racism, and, and, and strained racial relationships. Things like a lack of civility, and, and things that just make it harder to address inequalities and to address things like violence that we see in our culture. In this new book that I'm reading about trust, the author kind of challenge, channels what, what you and I perhaps know instinctively about the lack of trust being a problem. And and he says that trust is not optional. All of human life is designed and wired to only work when we trust. So, so much of human life is designed and wired to only work when you trust. And so when trust breaks down, it's no surprise that things begin to break down around us. It makes sense that when you don't trust and society as a whole doesn't trust that, that things don't work out too well and things begin to appear to go off the rails. I mean, friends, there is power, power and trust. And over the, the next six weeks or so, I, I want to be able to share with you some of the tools that, that can help us, help you unlock the power of trust, not just like in yourself and, and like big things, but just in your relationships, some practical things that we can learn from Scripture and from, from science that can help, help you build trust in your life and in your relationships. And I'll be honest with you, I'm not perfect at this. But I know that when I work with these tools, and when I work on, on trusting others and, and giving that to others, my relationships improve and my, my, kind of, my life improves. And in a way, you know, it's funny that you and I as human beings struggle with trust because trust is something that humans have always been given by God. Humans struggle trusting other people, but God, who is, who is, who is like the, the best, right? God, who is, who is the creator and sustainer of all life, trusts human beings even though sometimes we prove ourselves to be untrustworthy. You know, something happened about 2,000 years ago that really underscores this where God placed an unbelievable amount of trust in the men and women that followed God. And so for the next few moments, I want to share with you about this time that God chose to trust humanity in an unbelievable way. And what, I, what I'm going to share is that God entrusted to humanity the most important thing that God desired to accomplish. God trust to humanity, the very mission the mission of God. We find this story in the book of Acts. And so if you have a Bible and want to follow along, I'm going to be looking at, at really Acts chapter 1 just a little bit, but mainly at Acts chapter 2. You see, Acts is, is the fifth book of the, of the, of the New Testament. The, the first four books tell the stories of Jesus. In the book of Acts, tells the stories of the early church, of how God used the, the God's Spirit in the early church to send God's, God's message across the world. And, and today, in the very beginning of the book of Acts, we find this early church story starting in Pentecost. What we call Pentecost is really kind of the story of the birth of the church. And so today, churches around the world are celebrating Pentecost, and as we do this, we also celebrate The birth of the church. And what I'm about to read, I will share with you what happened and how God's power created what we know as the church to be the human institution responsible for carrying out God's mission. So Christians believe that at the end of Jesus' ministry, uh, he was killed on the cross, He rose from the dead on Easter, and then he would later ascend into heaven. And if you were with us last week, we talked about this. You heard a a story about the time that happened between Jesus' resurrection, coming back to life, and, and, and Jesus ascending into heaven. He spent time with his followers, teaching them and making sure that they really understood everything that Jesus wanted them to understand. And so during this time between the resurrection and Jesus ascending into heaven, Jesus was staying with his followers. And he told them that he wanted them to wait in Jerusalem until God sends them the Holy Spirit. This is what uh, Jesus said in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You will, receive, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in, in, in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Here Jesus promises, promises them God's power, that God's Spirit will fall upon them, and that they will then go to be His witnesses in, in, in Jerusalem and Judea and all Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That, that, that they will be God's witnesses all around wherever they go, This is Jesus promising them that God is about to trust them with the mission of God. God's mission to go and to spread the good news of Jesus through all the earth. Now, while Jesus was on earth, this is what he did. But now Jesus is saying, all right, tag, you're it. It's your turn to take up this this mission. So they receive this news and Jesus says what? He says, wait, just hold your horses. Wait just a few moments because this is what you're supposed to do, but you need a little bit of help. And that's where God's Spirit comes into play. So they wait. And the Bible tells us that that as they are waiting, there are about 120 followers of Jesus that are are waiting together. So the church, if this is kind of the church, there is 120 members and just for perspective's sake, this is a little bit smaller than, than like Kern Church and the number of folks that are, that are engaged in our church and, and make this their church home. So the, the church of, the, of Jesus Christ at the very beginning is smaller than, than our church, than the church that you and I participate in. And so, so God tells them to wait, to wait just a little bit because something is going to happen. They're just waiting and trusting that something is about to happen. So if you're following along and and want to continue, I'm going to turn now to Acts chapter 2. And and this is what happens in Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When when Pentecost Day arrived, they were all together in one place. Now, for Christians, Pentecost marks the birth of the church, of God trusting Christians with the mission of God. And and this is what we're about to read about. But for Jews who were living in, in ancient Palestine... That is, for Jesus' first followers, for these 120 folks that are there, and all the other Jews living in ancient Palestine, this was also a celebration of the early harvest. So Pentecost, while the church Christian church sees it as the birth of the church, it was already a holiday that celebrated kind of the spring harvest that would happen at the time, the early harvest. And so people were coming to Jerusalem, the Jews were coming to Jerusalem to celebrate, to celebrate Pentecost. And in this time of celebration in the region, 120 of Jesus' followers were gathered in one place. And, and as people were coming into Jerusalem to celebrate this spring harvest, we read what happens in verse 2. Suddenly, a sound from heaven, like the howling of a fierce wind, filled the entire house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be individual flames of fire alighting on each one of them. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit enabled them to speak. This is what Jesus told them they were waiting for. They were waiting for the Holy Spirit to come. They were waiting for the Holy Spirit to come and to give them God's God's power to give them the power of God's trust and and the writers who are trying to describe what what happened at this time they use language that is, is is metaphorical in nature because they don't really know how to capture and so they say that that the the, the 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 power of God coming is kind of like a fierce wind that that filled the room it's kind of like flames of fire alighting on on each one it seems to be as if the spirit is is moving in ways that is physical and spiritual and and they're not exactly sure how to describe what's happening, but but they're they're talking about it and and they're, they're filled in the midst of this with the power of God's Holy Spirit. And then they begin to speak in other languages, which for them was a sign that God was trusting them. Remember, Jesus told them that they were going to be His witnesses into all the earth. Well, here... As they begin to speak other languages, other languages that they've never heard before, they, they don't have training in, as they begin to do this, this is kind of a, a crash course or or a proof of concept for God's mission. Be, because what's happening here is that as Jews from other nations are pouring in, we're about to find out that, that God is giving them the language to speak in these things and these other languages, and, and that is helping them realize that this is something that they can do. We read about this in verse 5, that there were pious Jews from from every nation uh, under heaven living in Jerusalem. And when they heard this sound, a crowd gathered. So there's a lot of racket happening, and so they're, they're, you know there there's a lot of racket happening in this room that they're gathered in. They don't have the windows shut. they have the windows open because you know they don't have air conditioning and, and and things like that. And so the wind is blowing, and this fierce wind is happening. And here's this room where crazy stuff is happening and And they're trying to figure it out. So a crowd gathers around. We read that they were mystified, that is the crowd, they were mystified because everyone heard them speaking. In their native languages. The Jesus followers are literally being the witnesses of God's salvation in a powerful way, by witnessing in the native languages of everyone who is gathered. And then if you keep reading, you'll, you'll learn how remarkable this is in, in verse 7, because the crowds that were there, they were surprised and amazed, saying, look, aren't all these people who were speaking, Galileans, every one of them? That's like, aren't all these people from like the hills of East Tennessee? I mean, I know they're not very smart. Like, you know, that's... Like, you can say that as an insider, but if you're not... Don't, like... But, but that's, that, that's them saying, like, these people are from Galilee. They don't know anything. They're not esteemed people. They haven't been to the high universities. They just know how to... They just speak like Hick or whatever the case may be. Like, that's what they're saying when they say, aren't these Galileans every one of them? How can each of them... How can we hear them speaking in our own languages. God sent the power of the Holy Spirit, and God trusts these Jesus followers to take on the mission of God, to share about God's salvation through Christ Jesus into all the earth, into all the languages of the earth. And those around them, they're mystified, and if you keep reading you will learn that you will learn about all the regions. And I'm not going to read all the regions, but if you want to, it's a little bit further down. You can just read about all the regions that are there that are represented in these crowds. And, and then they realize they're from all these different places. And, and, and then they remark in verse 11, we hear them declaring the mighty works of God in our own languages. And they are surprised and bewildered. And some ask each other, what does this mean? And I love verse 13. Others jeered at them, saying, They're drunk. <laughs> they're full of new wine. Like, they, they are, they're not good enough to do this, but they're drunk. Somehow, being drunk in this logic makes you smarter. Um, if you've ever been around drunk people, it doesn't make them smarter. But here, you know, they don't, can't figure out how else to explain people talking in languages that they are not familiar to, and so they just assume they're drunk. The crowds realize, you see, that something is happening. They are receiving something surprising and something powerful as they hear the goodness of God spoken in their native languages. They're a bit confused and not sure of what's going on. And then the leader of the 120 followers of Jesus, a guy named Peter, stands up and starts to preach. It, it, there's, there's pandemonium happening on the ground and, and Peter realizes that, that there's questioning going on and they can all hear this and so Peter gets up and he's like you know what I'm just going to share share a message and speak to these folks and, and, and he assures them that no one is drunk because it's only nine o'clock in the morning. Now in some circles this is not going to be the assurance you need that nobody is drunk. However, um, you know they're not drunk. It's 9 o'clock in the morning. It should be self-evident, evidently. Um, and so Peter assures them that nobody, nobody is drunk, that it's only 9 in the morning. And then as one who has received the power and the trust of God, he begins to proclaim the good news of Jesus. I'm going to share with you part of what he says in verse 22, but really this good news and this kind of sermon, first Christian sermon continues for several verses after this. But in verse 22, he's addressing those who are gathered and says, fellow Israelites, listen to these words. Jesus, the Nazarene, was a man whose credentials God provided to you through miracles, wonders, and signs, which God performed through him among you. You yourselves know this. He's like, you know who Jesus was. You witnessed it, okay? In accordance with God's established plan and foreknowledge, he was betrayed. You, with the help of wicked men, had Jesus killed by nailing him on the cross. But God raised him up. God freed him from death's dreadful grip, since it was impossible for death to hang on to him. So he, he shares with them the essence of the gospel message that Jesus came to you to offer you new life. Then he was killed, and, and, and we thought it was all over, but, but, but death could not hold him. Death could literally not hang on him. And so new life is available to all. Not only did God trust these first followers of Jesus and, and give them the power to live out this trust, God also made their efforts fruitful. God made their efforts fruitful. And, and we learn that people responded to, to what Peter is sharing and to the outpouring of God's power at this time in really a powerful way. And many in this crowd, many perhaps who were who were wondering if these folks were drunk, many of them came to believe in the message of Jesus Christ. Came to believe in in salvation through Christ Jesus. And when the power of God's Spirit came upon them, there were only, I'll remind you, only 120 believers. But we read in verse 41 just how powerful that first day of the church was. For those who accepted Peter's message, they were baptized and God brought about 3000 people into the community that day. So so at the beginning of the day the church was about the size of Kern Church and that at the end of the day the church was like what you would call a mega church. Like this is the amount of growth for you know if you're a church leader that you think about like it went from one size to another. God worked of trusting humanity and trusting the followers of Jesus with the mission of God pays off and the church grows from from 120 people into 3,120 people in just a matter of hours. God trusts humanity. God trusts humanity. And the first followers of Jesus responded in a powerful way. They accepted this trust. They acted on this trust. They accepted it. And and as I shared earlier, the Christian church celebrates today as Pentecost because of what happened through the Spirit, but also because of how the people of God responded. It's a reminder also that, that God is still trusting the church. God is still trusting the followers of Jesus with this same mission. So I ask you, what are you? What are you going to do about it? God trusts the, the, the followers of Jesus with the mission of God, and, 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 and that leaves you with the question, what are you going to do about it? In light of this scene at Pentecost, with God trusting so much to, to Jesus' followers, what should, what should you do? Especially if you are a person of faith and, and you are learning about this trust that God has given you, what should you do? What should I do? Well, I think the answer is, is kind of twofold. And, and the first part applies to those who are followers of Jesus. And the second part applies really to everyone, whether you follow after Jesus or not. So if you are a person of faith, the first thing that you can do is just to realize that the power of God has been given to you. Recognize that God's power is entrusted to you. And it's powerful. The early church grew in such a powerful way when they realized that that God really had sent them on a mission, that God had given them, entrusted to them something to do. And then if you keep reading the, the book of Acts, you will read how the followers of Jesus went about organizing their life, and, and their mission together so that more and more would receive the saving power of Jesus. You have been entrusted by the Holy Spirit with this same mission. Here at Kern Church, we are a part of a great movement of faith called the United Methodist Church. And, and one of the ways that, that we organize our life together and help guide us is through a book called the Book of Discipline, which is kind of like if you're a United Methodist, this is like the, the second basic guide, other than the Bible, to how to, to live out the faith and organize life in the faith. And I want to say that many parts of the book of Discipline will really help some insomnia, okay? It will really help you fall asleep, perhaps. You know, like how all organizations have rules and such that, that are kind of boring just to read through them. But there's a lot in this book. There's a lot in this book that speaks to this trust that God has given the followers of Jesus. And in part of the book of Discipline that describes what the church really is, it basically reminds the followers of Jesus who are United Methodist what their mission is, what God has entrusted them to do. I'm just going to read to you a little part of this. If you want to look it up, it comes from paragraph 202. So if you've got a book of Discipline or want to borrow one, just go to paragraph 202. That's really early in the book, by the way, okay? Um, And and this is what it says. The church of Jesus Christ exists in and for the world. So why does the church exist? It exists in the world and for the world. It is primarily through the local church that the church encounters the world. The local church is, is a strategic base from which Christians move out into the structures of society to help people accept and confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and to live their daily lives in light of their relationship with God. This is a way of saying that the power and trust that God gave his followers at Pentecost is still alive in the church today. So if you're a follower of Jesus, this place, church, current church, is supposed to be a strategic base through which through which you can then move out into the world to share the love of Jesus. This is a home base for you to go into the world to share the mission of God, so that people can accept and confess Jesus as Lord. And, and if you aren't a Christian, um, then this probably doesn't sound all that appealing. Uh, maybe it sounds a little sus, as like you know the youths would say, like that makes me really old. But um, evidently, sus is like suspect. It's like. I was trying to brush up on my slang and anyways. But but if you're not a Christian, trust is still important. And if you read the Bible even before Jesus, you find that time and time again, God is trusting human beings time and time again, even when we fail. So so whether you're a Christian or not, the second thing that you can do is just to focus and cultivate bonds of trust in your life to focus on the relationships of your life. Be a trustworthy person and, and to extend trust to others. And these are some of the things that we're going to focus on as we continue our message series over the next four weeks or so. And if you do this, my belief is that you will begin to unlock the power of trust in your life and in your relationships, which will improve your relationships and improve your sanity. So basically, God trusts humanity with the mission of God, and because God trusts you, trust has power. So what are you going to do about it? And imagine what life would be like if if you and I lived lives of deep trust. Imagine what this church would be like. Think about all the societal problems that, that people trace back to a lack of trust. Imagine the difference that it could make if together you and I modeled trust, real trust, if you unlock the power of trust in your life and helped others do the same. And this is what we're going to do over the next few weeks. And I hope that you will join us. Hope that you'll invite others to join us. And today, today, I just want to invite you to reflect. To reflect on the fact that God trusts you with the mission of God. And ask, what are you going to do with that trust? And of course, there are different ways to respond. You can, you can say, no thanks, I don't want to. Or you can accept it as the earliest followers of Jesus did. And in, in accepting it, you can receive the power that, that God made present at that first Pentecost to go into the world and to be God's witnesses. Living out the mission that God has trusted you with to help people accept and confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And to live their daily lives in light of their relationship with God. So right now, I just want to pray for you. I just want to pray for you. Pray that you will realize the power of trust in your life. And for you to to accept the power that God is giving you and do something with it. As God desires. And here's what I want you to do. If you, wherever you are, if you're if you're joining us online from your home or if you're here in person, here's what I want to invite you to do: is that if you are ready, you just open your hands like this. Open your hands and an open sign is a sign that you are ready to receive God's power and live out that trust. And I want to pray for you as we have our hands open. Oh God, your first followers gathered together perhaps even with open hands waiting for You, and You sent forth Your Holy Spirit. Enliven again Your people, O oh God. Send forth Your Holy Spirit as our hands are open to receive Your power once again. And help us to begin to receive that trust and live that trust in care and concern for others. And may Kern Church, may each one who hears these words be surely and certainly people committed to building bonds of trust, accepting what You have given us, and living it in each area of our lives. Amen. Amen. May God's Spirit bless you this day. May God's power fall upon you and and entrust you with God's life-changing ministry. Go forth in the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you want to reach out to Kern Memorial United Methodist Church or see entire services, you can visit our YouTube channel, Kern Memorial United Methodist Church, and remember to like and subscribe for updates. You can also visit us on our Facebook page at Kern Memorial United Methodist Church. Thanks and have a blessed day.